Hi, this is Barbara Ann from the hit podcast, Daddy Ladies. Your life is chaos right now, and I know that because I'm psychic. And there's a, a lot of stuff to make you feel like shit on the internet right now, and like you have no control. Something you can do that is genuinely helpful and much needed is to sign Dr. Amy Harwick's online petition for change against domestic violence laws. That might seem like it's not important right now, but then you're someone who's quarantined with people who are kind and loving to you, and that's not everyone's situation. You can go to Justice for Amy, Justice the way you would normally spell it, uh, for as in the number four, and Amy, A-M-I-E dot com. It will take you to the petition. The campaign has a lot of momentum, and we don't want to lose any of that during this crisis. It will take you literally, literally half a second to do it. So we say this in honor of Amy, in honor of everyone else who is going through difficult times on top of difficult times right now. Know that we are thinking of you. All right, here's that podcast I was talking about. This call is now being recorded. Hi, Barbara Ann. Hi, Vera Elizabeth. How are you doing in your quarantine? I'm doing okay. I haven't had Xanax for a couple of days. Have you been very anxious? It comes and goes. I'm less anxious than in the very beginning, but uh, sometimes it hits me that we're in the middle of a absolutely batshit crazy time. I know it's been very hard on you. It's been very hard on me, too. I've really appreciated seeing you on Skype, though. That's been very fun. I think I've had more cocktails and laughs in the last couple of weeks than... Yeah, the fact that we've been getting together as friends like a couple times a week is unheard of. It's so decadent. It is. Much more than than consumed. But yeah. not with not with Xanax. I have this separate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, no joke, you. No jo- no joking. Dee, do you have any twin sites? I do. I was thinking this keeps bothering me that we are doing a dating show we're both moms and we talk about our kids and I want to send out this twin site to me six years ago mm-hmm. when kids were not necessarily ever going to happen in my life. And I couldn't really give a fuck about hearing about anyone else's kids. Okay. Because it was number one painful because uh-huh. I really wanted them and I didn't know if that was ever going to happen. Um, number I two, I think it's hard to shift gears between talking about, you know, sex and talking about children, which is one of the themes of our movie, I think, that we can get into later. But I just wanted to address if there's any Barbaras out there, I just wanted to take a moment to speak to you guys with two suggestions on why you shouldn't tune out our bits about kids. And the first one is that you might have them one day. If you're someone who might want them one day, it's going to happen maybe sooner than you think. And then if you've been listening to us talk about them, you won't have to cram all this kind of nuancy stuff you'll be learning about kids into your brain, you know, because you'll have been kind of absorbing it mm-hmm. in a fun way. And then number two is that I didn't understand before I had kids is that we actually all were children and that experience <laughs> never goes away. And mm-hmm. so there's stuff that there's stuff you learn when you're when you're a parent about yourself and about the way the human race works that you're just never going to learn or or, or i think it's very hard to put yourself in that kind of visceral to have that visceral understanding unless you have kids 
Okay, that's true. Yeah. I have thought a lot more about my childhood since I had a kid, since I had a child, and I can see the connection a lot more now between how how things played out when I was little and how my life is going now. And uh does scare me a little bit because I'm raising a person. I hope I'm doing the things that worked well and not doing the things that didn't work well, but who knows? Who knows? And we do have a lot of friends who are child-free by choice, which is a wonderful choice to make. But there will be some people listening that do end up having kids. So, hey, this stuff, very after you finish dating and maybe finding a mate, all this stuff might apply to you really directly. What about after you're done dating and you find a mate and then you and that mate break up and then you're ready to date again? That could also be yeah. for you, whoever you are, whoever you could possibly be. Yeah. amazing person you. All right. Well, with that said, should we get into our episode, our episode four and a half? Andia. Hey, Bibi. Ciao. Ciao, Bella. So, Vera, you, it was your idea to choose a movie and a specific movie. You chose Eight and a Half by Federico Fellini for our special bonus Dady Ladies episode. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. It's for episode four and a half. Isn't that clever? Otto <laughs> immenso. That's, that's the Italian translation. I did choose it because I uh, happened to rewatch it pretty recently on Canopy, which you told me about. Canopy is a free media library, media being movies, that you can access just by being a member of the library or uh, or universities, I think. How did you find out about it, Barbara? Uh, I found out about it from someone I was dating, and it was actually our main it was our first way that we connected. What, on canopydates.com? Yeah, for smartpeople.com. It's art films. Um, I just yeah. saw The Love Witches on it. Uh, it's mm. foreign films. But then there's and also Midsummer is on there, which is like a fairly new release. Yeah, so it's worth getting your library card if you can right now. I don't know if you can, but highly yeah. recommended Canopy with a K. So I... Barbara told me about Campy with Kay, and one night uh, when I couldn't sleep, I got up and looked through the movies, and I saw Eight and a Half, which I haven't watched for probably 20 years. And I thought, oh, gosh, I finally have a few minutes to myself. I'm going to watch Eight and a Half. Um, then I heard some little feet pattering down the hallway, and it was my six-year-old son who wanted to stay up with me. And I said, okay, we're watching Eight and a Half, though. And he's like, all right. So we sat there and we watched it now. <laughs> and it is every bit as wonderful as I remember. Although the things I remembered from the first time are very different than the things that stuck out to me this time. You you must have watched it in college too, probably around the same time I did. I think you recalled one little scene that you told me about that I that I remember. Or I don't know, help me help me figure out if this is my memory or your memory. Um, the Saragina scene. Yes. What well, did you remember was... most about that? <laughs> it's the little boy slapping his face. Yes. <laughs> when I watched it, I was dating this beautiful Italian boy. I know we watched it together because he thought that was hilarious too. It's so Italian. There's a Do scene. Do you want to describe very, the scene? Let's get some facts out there first, and we'll go back to the Scarlatina okay. stuff. So it's Federico Fellini, 1963, eight and a half, um, starring Marcello Mastro. Mastro Aiani. Did I say that correctly? Who knows? Did I say that offensively? <laughs> Tell me some more facts about this movie then. Do you have more facts? I would say there's a couple themes in the movie. One of them is mm-hmm. Catholicism. Yep. And its effect on <laughs> guilt. Guilt, shame, sex. Uh, another theme is ego. And yeah. then 
with tying back to what I said in Twin Sights, the way that people are tied to their experiences as children. It's largely autobiographical. It's about a film director who has a creative block and can't start his film. And mm-hmm. so he goes to a um, to a Catholic bar where everyone drinks holy water in order to heal. Mm-hmm. And then he's followed by his production crew. And then so it's him trying to get this film together. And also he has his mistress come and accompany him. And then he calls his wife and tells her to come too. So it's his personal life and this film. So there are these fantasies he has and also these flashbacks to his childhood. So one of them is to this Saragina situation. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. He's a child. He's, he's at school and his little school friends call him to go with them to go visit Saragina. And they go to this beach and there's like this hovely little house. And they call out for Saragina and tell her that they have money. And she comes out, and it's this massive Robert Crumb-style divine-looking woman with jet black, gnarly hair and crazy eye makeup and this little dress. And she actually has really cute dimples. But she comes out, (laughs) and they start calling to her, Saragina, Saragina, we have the money. Do the rumba. Do the rumba. So she comes out, and she looks around. And then the music starts. She starts dancing in the sand in her little black skirt, and the kids just go crazy for her, these little boys. And they're jumping up and down, sort of like little robots, jumping up and down and slapping their own faces, just going (laughs) nuts for the wonderful glamour of Saragina. Then she turns, and she goes and picks up Guido and lifts him up and just at that moment his catholic school teachers and priests two of them come running out and uh, the boys disperse and they chase him down the beach benny hill style until they all fall over mm-hmm. so big <laughs> and then they drag him back to school or to the church i suppose and his mother's there and she's crying dramatically i don't i don't want to tell too much have i told too much yeah this woman who had picked him out from all these little boys and then immediately after he's he's shamed for this experience with this Wonderful woman. And he, he feels terrible about it. So terrible that he uh, returns to the beach as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> like the moment he gets out of being disciplined, he's, he comes back and she's sitting on the, sitting on a chair and she, she turn, yeah, she's sitting there on a chair and she turns around and she's got this white scarf and she has this angelic voice and she goes, ciao. And she looks like an angel. She looks like a big, crazy angel. And, and it's clear that she's the good one. She's, yeah. you know, there's also flashbacks to him being a little boy at his grandmother's house. And he's running around naked and he's making his aunt and his grandmother or somebody catch him and put him in a wine bath. A bath made of wine. Yes, it's an Italian thing, I guess. Of course, yes. <laughs> And then, and then they put him in bed, and then they have a, a fight to uh, see who he loves the most. Yeah, so the mom and, like, whoever, the aunt or something, are just doting upon him, this little boy. So, and then kind of this stuff plays out in his life in that he has arranged to have his mistress come and meet him at the spa, although he kind of 
also doesn't want her there. Once she's there, he's put her in a hotel that's not his hotel because he doesn't want to get caught with her. And he also seems like he lusts after her, very obviously. In fact, has a scene where he asks her to put on makeup that we later see looks just like Sarah Gina's. He wants her, but he's embarrassed by her a little bit because she's very sexy. And as we'll see later, she's very different than the woman that he's married to. Virgin whore. And, but then he ends up on the phone with his wife, and for some reason he says, why don't you come, <laughs> too? <laughs> and then she says, oh, do you really want me to? And then his response is, if you'd like. <laughs> Has anybody ever heard that before? Yeah, sure, if it's your idea, if you want to. Go ahead. He invites her because he wants to prove that he's not up to anything, and then she takes him up on it. Yeah, I, I think this is where it really starts to reflect his real life. He was married from his 20s until his death to Julieta Messina, who is an actress who shows up in a lot of his movies. And in this movie, Fellini actually ended up having an affair with the actress who played the mistress. Oh, no. No, no. Oh, oh he did? Yeah. Because he also had an affair with the actress who played his wife. Oh, is that right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, yay. So the wife does show up, and she's this intellectual. Very beautiful, but nothing like the mistress. She She wears glasses. Yeah, exactly. And then this is where everything starts to implode, because she's happy to see him, and then... There's a scene where her attitude shifts, and I related to that scene so much. Did you? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Usually for me, it happens, I think many, most of the times I've had this experience has been like out, some wine, somebody said or did something fucked up, and then Uh you cannot get out of that mindset where you're, you are so pissy for the rest of the night. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really comforting for me to see that this is a common enough thing that it could be put in a movie in 1963, you know? Yeah. Uh I won't say why she changes her attitude, but that is the beginning of them having to confront what's happening in their relationship. Mm -hmm. And then there's all sorts of relatable stuff. It reminded me of a boyfriend I had. I pointed out to him that if he mentioned a woman more than twice, that he was just, he was interested in her. I called him out on it. And he said, well, it's better that I'm I'm talking about it instead of doing something about it. I was like, where's your, where's your parade? You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, sir. Gold medal for you. So that gets us to the scene that Vera and I mentioned to each other that got, just got us laughing hysterically, which is this elaborate fantasy scenario. He's back at his grandmother's house, the same house with the wine bath, but now he's an adult, and he, but he's still wrapped in a towel. And uh-huh. instead of his, his relatives, it's all the women in his life. He shows up at the front door. He comes in. It's every single woman that he's basically ever seen. Uh, he comes in. He's, he's bearing <laughs> gifts. They flock to him. They dote upon him. Uh, One woman, he is a woman that he's just seen around his hotel. He doesn't even know her name. She keeps telling him she's just so happy to be there. She's just so happy. He says, and he says, what is your name? She goes, it's not important. (laughs) (laughs) So it's his his wife who's dressed as um, a scullery maid, his wife's sister who can't stand him. In the movie, she says that she prays day and night. To never have a husband like him. And yet in this fantasy sequence, <laughs> she has come around. Um, it is Serengina, of course. Um, it's uh, the actresses that are vying for parts in his movie. And then things take a tragic turn. It's revealed that when a woman 
reaches a certain age, she must go upstairs. Wait, but you know what happens, though? You know what happens when you go upstairs? What happens? You have to live out your life, quote-unquote, basking in your memories. Oh, yeah. So the the only thing you have are your memories of Guido and what a wonderful <laughs> time you had in his life. Tonight is special um, because it is the night that Jacqueline Bonbon, the first showgirl that he ever had a crush on, uh, is being transferred upstairs, and she is none too happy about it. The women um, uh, agree with her that she she's so upset she doesn't want to go upstairs. And the other women go, you know what? She's right. We should we deserve to be loved until we're seventy, says one of them. And someone else says these are rules invented by someone who doesn't pass the test himself. Which and this then, being his fantasy is an interesting thing to hear. That's why it's a good fantasy because it's fairly self aware and funny. Yeah. Um, it's probably the most honest depiction I've ever seen of what goes inside goes on inside of the heads of some dudes. I mean, I, how, who can say? I've been given some really amazing insight by things that people have said to me and bless them for their honesty. But I can also relate too, because I've been very dependent on my, I think your friend in college called it a harem in your head. Um, But I've done, I've definitely done that too. I think because being very shy, I've mentioned, you know, being an introvert, sometimes the attention that I could rely on would be, what do you call it? Romantic. And I really mm-hmm. valued it. And, and in my head, I've collected people. And then, you know, I would also rely on them for little bits of attention to make me feel good about myself. So I can relate to it, definitely. Being very shy, insecure, and needing that kind of validation. I'll say it's accurate. Yeah. So, well, I didn't mean to say, I mean, when I said dudes, I meant dudes with ladies, I suppose. But I think to a certain point, I did harem in your head business. I, I've moved on just because I don't find it very fulfilling. I don't know. It makes me a little sad. Well, tell me more about this relationship you had where he had a harem. Yeah, I had a relationship that had a lot of other women that seemed to be on the side, sort of lurking in the corners there. Whether or not the interest was mutual, I I will never know. There was one lady who felt she could call late at night, and after we broke up, that lady and my boyfriend started dating. That didn't feel very good. Mm. It made me feel bad. This is a relationship that I referenced in the first couple of episodes, you know, where he kind of came out of something and went straight to me. So I don't know. In a way, I kind of felt like it was something I should have expected or maybe even deserved, you know. And I I think that's, a, by the way, a really great reason never to get into a relationship with somebody who left somebody else to be with you because that was always in the back of my mind that it was going to happen to me as well. I, whether or not it did happen, I don't know. You know, we eventually broke up just to break up, but... Uh, anytime, anytime, uh, you know, as I said, he would mention a woman more than once. It's like, okay, this woman is a part of his life now. And it really made me feel terrible. I didn't like it. It made me feel very, very insecure. And I'm sure that I, it, you know, that was probably a point in my life when I had a bit of a head harem as well. A head harem? How's that? Because mm-hmm. it is a buffer between you and your insecurity. Whether or not it's, you know, a real or imagined harem, it makes you feel a little better about yourself. You know what else it's a buffer to? But I remember we talked about this with Dr. Amy. It's insulation against intimacy. Yes. I thought a lot about Dr. Amy when I was watching this movie because uh, Guido exhibits all the characteristics of an avoidant, attached person. Would you agree? But he's so I mean, he's so handsome. Oh, my God. I know. He's so handsome. He is. He is. But- He's he's got the coolest fucking sunglasses I've ever seen. I know. Oh my and, god. And he's also got this like floppy black hat thing that he's wearing. 
that just looks so good on him. And then I love that his wife at one point goes, and you're wearing that stupid pretentious old man hat. Oh, that wasn't the wife. That was the ideal woman, Claudia, that he picks up at the end. Oh, really? Or when they're having it out at the end. Uh, well, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not going to get into it too much, but there's an ideal woman that he's been focused on, which is another aspect of avoidant personality. Avoidant attached believes that there's an ideal person out there. Guess what? There's not. But uh, yes, that hat was when they had eight and a half made it to the United States. There's a company that wanted to mass market that hat because they thought it looked so rad. Well, it does. The black hat. <laughs> It's amazing. There's a company that's like, yeah. Um, but, but also, I mean, he's amazing in it. He's he's super interesting. And then the only other interesting people in it are all the women. Well, that's one of the reasons I love this film, even though it has a whole scene with, like, this harem where he's kind of, you know, it's like, yep, this is what I do. He's so honest about it. He, you know, he really, he's a woke bay. <laughs> he doesn't do everything correct with his wokeness, but uh, he's super self-aware as you said and it's hilarious every scene has a crazy detail in it that has so much thought put behind it and there are just little moments that are so fucking hilarious in this film i know it's black and white get over it it's subtitled oh it's not just subtitled do you know that it's entirely dubbed yeah almost everything that came out of tina tita was dubbed did you read that some actors just spoke gibberish yeah just just like you wanted to for stand against evil yeah i wanted to speak gibberish you wanted to say real lines well, real because, silly ones. Because they didn't use our dialogue either. So that's another thing. I'm just saying for people who are afraid of foreign films and reading subtitles, you're going to notice that sometimes the words don't match the mouths. Get over that part, too. This movie's so wonderful. Can I talk about the things that this triggered for me? Sure. Okay. Well, shortly before COVID-19 hit, I went on a couple dates with somebody. And on one of those dates, we had a casual get-together with, like, a couple other couples. And... He became fixated on one of my friends. Yay. Yeah. Um, And in the past, that would have been a moment like that drunk switch that I was talking about. Um, But because I'm not, I don't know, insecure and I know more about people, I asked him about it instead of getting mad. And his response to it was that I was still the prettiest girl. He didn't want me to feel bad about myself. Huh. But my uh, take on it was it's problematic not because of me. It's problematic because of him. What it tells me is that I'm dating someone who's insecure and needs validation from someone he doesn't even know. Hmm. I wish I had known that even when you address something like that, like I would have been so afraid to address that years before. Yeah. But it's it's interesting, a little disappointing, um, <laughs> that even when you address it, you don't get what you want from it, you know, necessarily. So the response I got was, well, you're still the most beautiful girl. And then to me, I thought, wait a minute, the problem is now that I know that you're insecure and I'm not going to learn from you the way I wanted to learn from you because I don't want to be with someone who who is insecure in that way. You know what I mean? And also, yeah. now I don't now I don't want to take you out with my friends because you'll cause a problem. I you're going to cause a problem between me and this person I love. Whereas I think when I was in a different place, that would have been like maybe seen her as being part of the problem, whereas now it's like no way, you know? The friend that he was flirting with. Yeah. Well, that goes back to uh, what we talked about in Attached, where you've got to just go ahead and ask the question, even if you're afraid of the answer. Sometimes the answer is not going to be the answer you want, but it's going to shed light on what your situation is. And there, you got your answer. It's a disappointing answer, but you got it, right? 
Yeah, I totally agree. And yeah, harems are, that's a weird, um, it's a weird concept because it's a very, it's like this private little thing. But the moment you start to think of it as not being so private, it gets kind of creepy and not so cool. Or, or fulfilling. Yeah. So you've had a, it's a head harem. Have you had a, right? Head harem. Not a hair harem. So you've had a head harem. <laughs> Who was in your head harem? Who's the head um, harem the head? member in your head harem? Well, the person I was actually dating was the head. He was he he was the one wearing the scullery maid outfit. <laughs> but then there was like there was the guy he was the sound guy at the the club I'd go to on Mondays. There was like the guy that um you know I knew from school. There was like <laughs> I don't know the um the person who uh, who walked his dogs and would always stop and chat with me. Whatever you know, it just goes on and on. It's just people that that convey an interest, and then I and then I would go, oh okay, well you're someone I can text when I'm feeling lonely. And luckily you didn't need to know any other names because it doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah, they're just happy to be there. It definitely impedes intimacy, though. No shit. And it also impedes, like, if you're dependent on someone else's attention. Oh, you know what sucks is that I couldn't get over is, like, when someone in my head harem would go get a partner, then I'd be like, wait, what is your status? You know, like, (laughs) you still obviously are in love with me. I don't. That's when they get kicked down to the basement. The basement, upstairs is when they're too old. The basement is for when they get a side piece, a.k.a. an actual partner. Sorry. It's like a wife or whatever. Or whatever, yeah, some some temporary sitch. Vera, do you have any, uh, do you have anyone in your head harem that, like, I don't know, like that gives you social media love? Yeah, you mean like like a little spark of joy to get Marie Kondo about it? Somebody I wouldn't put in the garbage can? Well, how about someone like you don't care who likes your post unless this person likes your post and then you're fine? There was somebody who I liked liking my posts, and then you specifically, Barbara, said, uh, hey, one day you're not going to care if that person likes your posts anymore. And guess what? It happened. I know exactly who you're talking about. He's not in my harem, though, but I did like the attention. It was cool. Okay. He's a cool guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't have a, I don't have really any kind of harem anymore. It's, it's a little – it feels like I don't have a safety net. It's a, It's a little scary, I'll be honest with you. Well, aren't oh. harems only good if you have a say if you have somebody who's like the scullery maid? Because otherwise, it's just you fantasizing about a bunch of people that maybe don't care about you at all, and then there's nobody that's your head hair head head harem guy, right? Oh, I must be really good at having a harem because it didn't matter if I had a partner or not. Oh, all right, cool. I did notice that I got kicked out of some people's head harems after I had kids. Oh, and uh, they were they were. T- <laughs> And uh, I want to tie that back to the movie, too, because I made a transition from horror to Madonna, and I don't think it suited these two people. could have been more, but um, I used to get unrequited attention from people I'd been, one of them I'd had a relationship with, and the other person I think was just kind of like wanted to keep me in his head harem. I thought it was very telling, though, that they both stopped liking shit and just disappeared like farts. How are you, uh, did you, you want to talk about the Madonna horror theme that, that happens in the movie? Well, I just, first of all, I want to say that I did not have Instagram back when I had my son, but on Facebook, I noticed, um, like every time I checked it, there'd be like a ding, 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 because so many people had just unfriended me. Really? I didn't want to see pictures of my baby. It, back then, we had a lot of um, Facebook it was and probably still does have a lot of uh, fans of our wrestling and our, you know, uh, sexy picture posing and I lost, like, I don't know, it had to be dozens of people that just 
did not want anything to do with me after I had a kid. But here's the thing, though. I, I could not name a single one of those people because I didn't. they weren't people that showed up in my life in any other way. So it was fine. Nobody worry about that, okay? People are maybe not going to be liking your photos as much when you're no longer the whore and you're the Madonna. But it's all good. You know what I mean? You managed to get over it? I did because I, could, I don't know who any of those people are. Well, the Madonna whore thing, um, I want to tread lightly on this because, like you said, you know, we do have a lot of luchadors who listen to our podcast. Do we? Um, you know, a lot, a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have a ton of luchadors, and um, they're all Catholic. Oh, that's true. Um, we're not talking about the Americans, although we do love the American wrestlers as well. But I really want to avoid describing Catholicism as a religion that may or may not give one a lifetime of unsolvable guilt complexes mm-hmm. and, you know, that might affect or might not affect every single relationship you ever have. Yeah, we don't. We are definitely not going to talk about that. But that was a theme um, in the in the movie. The Vatican um, put it in their compilation of best films. Which is a testament to their massive denial. <laughs> their fucking ego because <laughs> the film, Guido gets an audience with the cardinal, right? And he wants to get a blessing for the film. And the cardinal goes, the subject of this film is the religious one? And then Guido answers, yes, in a manner of speaking. As I was saying, the protagonist had a Catholic upbringing, like all of us for that matter. So he has certain complexes, certain needs he can no longer repress. And that's <laughs> that's oh, just Jesus. said like straightforward <laughs> because, yes, it's all about repression, right? <laughs> yes. And no longer being able to repress them, as is normal with anyone. Yes. I, I just love how that's like just that's just said as an accepted experience for being raised with the Catholic religion. So I think this movie is great for that. Uh, you know, going back to that self-awareness thing. Like, it's here's a quote when he's when Guido's being confronted about his movie being shitty. He says he wanted to make a film that says something simple, something useful to everybody, a, a film that could help bury forever all those dead things we carry within ourselves. So he's talking about the damage that Catholicism has wrought upon him in very mm-hmm. practical ways. Guido is not addressing what he's doing to his wife, but his wife addresses it in very succinct ways, in ways that I think anyone who is with someone who gaslights you or is a liar or, you know, has issues similar to this. Yeah, because he starts to, uh, they're in, the, in an outdoor cafe and the um, mistress shows up and she's so incredibly hilarious. When she spots them, she does like yes. this. She, like, starts turning one way and then another way and then finally just very gracefully walks over to a table that's, like, in their eyesight and sits down and just... And then the wife, Louisa, is just fucking fuming. And you can see Guido start to lie. And he does lie. He says, oh, oh, no, we we broke up three years ago. I just, I'm seeing her for the first time now, like you are. This is after the night that they had a big fight, and he's completely gaslighted her. She she already made reference to the fact that she knew the mistress was in town. They don't talk about it specifically. But then when he starts to gaslight her, she just says, she just shuts him down. She says, I've asked no questions, so don't say a word. Spare me the embarrassment of having to listen to your lies. But then he fucking lies to her face. And that's <laughs> another, it's another just like what I was saying before about like when you do call people on their shit, that's just the first step. Then you have to get through the surprise denial that then you're, it's like a gauntlet, you know, you may or may not ever get out on the other side. But her character, Louisa, never lets him off the hook. 
And her best friend, the spiritual psychic, just calls him a coward. At one point, he asks her what the spirits say about him. And she says, they say the same thing they always say, which is, you're free, but you have to choose in hurry because you don't have much time. Yeah. Do we want to talk about what the very, how the movie ends at all? Go, yeah, go for it. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give details about what happens with this movie or what happens with his wife, but at the very end, um, he, there, it's a fantasy sequence, of course. He asks simply, uh, to be accepted as he is. Well, I think that is perfectly reasonable. That is perfectly reasonable. He's asking to be accepted as the person who found Saragina to be a come hither wonderful, beautiful woman. Right? Yes. And to not be shamed for it. <laughs> yes. He's asking to be accepted as a flawed human being, which everybody yes. is. He's asking to be accepted as the guy who wants to be wrapped up in a towel and have talcum powder put on him, even though he's a grown man. <laughs> Can I say one thing about that before we end? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I think he's an asshole because he lies. There's no, there's no winning. There's no winning when someone lies to you. But I think about my son who um, ever since he was a three-pound baby has liked his foot to be rubbed. Um, he used to, on the inside of my belly, he would kick his foot. I could tell it was him because I knew where he was in there. And he would kick his mm-hmm. foot and rub it on the inside of my belly in a very specific way. When he got out in his incubator, he would kick his foot in the exact same way, and I would rub his little teeny tiny foot. And then mm-hmm. when he was a month old and he got home, I would massage his feet. And to this day, whenever he's upset – and as four years later, one of the only things that will calm him down is rubbing his feet. And I want him to know what that feels like. And I want him to have that kind of calm in his life and to have somebody yeah. know him like that. Yeah. And it's a, it's a feeling place to know what it's like to be loved and to not have worries and to be taken care of. And I think it's completely honorable to want that for the rest of your life. Yeah. And the things that, I mean, you're, you're born with these sensations that comfort you as a child and it's something to honor through your whole adulthood. And hey, if you're not getting that from your partner, you need to be getting that from your partner, right? Yes. You need, you need to be honest and, and find it from someone who can give it to you. I don't know. Maybe she was too intellectual for him, you know, or whatever, whatever his, her stereotype was. You know, uh, he's got some work to do. Let's be honest. He, I don't think he's well, fuck to yeah. in a relationship. Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not getting into that. I, I can't picture her <laughs> wrapping him in a towel, though. You know what I mean? Or doing a shimmy on the beach with crazy eyebrows. <laughs> That's not her. Find, find your fucking Saragina, you know, your big crazy lady. And, and be honest. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So how many, um, how many women babying a grown man do we give this movie? <laughs> Just all of them? Oh, no. All of them. Even the ones upstairs and in the basement. Yes. Yes, yes, All right. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> we did it. Ciao. <laughs> Ciao, Bella. Ciao, Bella. Ciao, Bella.